Hey, what's up, y'all? Alan Kenny, host of Blatant Homers and Podcast here. Uh, lots of stuff going on in college football right now. Uh, two big stories, of course, coming out of both uh, Ohio State and Texas A&M. I wanted to bring Dan Wolken back on to uh, talk a little bit about the uh, story that he uh, dropped this week regarding, uh, you know, allegations uh, against the Aggies, um, and uh, which I think have probably, you know, far-reaching implications for the sport. So I thought yeah, it'd be great to bring him back on and talk a little bit about that. Dan, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm good, Alan. How are you? Good, good, thanks. So let's start off talking about uh, A&M. Um, you know, this was a, you know, thoroughly reported story here. Um, I guess, you know, basically the contours of it, can, can you give us a little bit of an idea, I guess, maybe about how this all kind of came together, if, if you're able to? Sure. So Santino Martial had left Texas A&M, decided to transfer to Arizona, and had hired Thomas Mars. His family had hired Thomas Mars, who's an attorney who was right in the middle of all the Ole Miss stuff, uh, who I dealt with quite a bit when he was representing those players and when he was looking into the Hugh Free stuff. And I knew that he was going to stay involved in the college sports space to some degree. And when I had learned that Martial was interested in applying for a waiver and that they were going to try to use this, this rule modification that came out of the Ole Miss stuff, uh, I thought it was an interesting story potentially. And, and I uh, was able to, uh, get him to talk on the record about what he was experiencing at A&M and why he believes he should be eligible at Arizona. And as candid as he was and as thorough as he was, I sat down with him for, for several hours out in Tucson and he had described a number of, of I think troubling allegations of what he experienced at A&M. And so as a reporter, you, you look at that and, you understand that even though it's on the record, it's uh, coming from from one person, and you, you try to figure out how to deal with the story. But uh, once I had learned that he had submitted that in writing to Arizona and that the NCAA became involved in uh, looking into the things that he had told them, and of course a student-athlete who talks to the NCAA and paints this kind of picture is doing so, at risk of, of their own eligibility if they're not honest and forthcoming. And that really elevated it in my mind to something that needed to be written about immediately, not just because of the news angle uh, of the NCAA now looking into Texas A&M, but the larger implications of a student athlete really being incentivized by the rules to report misconduct on their prior university is a story that I think is, is urgent and interesting and has far reaching implications for a lot of different schools. Yeah, that was my, uh, very first, uh, you know, kind of uh, takeaway. It wasn't so much about the A&M stuff as, as this is a huge story for the entire sport. Um, you know, I guess then the, uh, you know, is there, I guess is there a an element of, of sour grapes on the part of uh, Marshall on this? I mean, is there a part? Is there an element of you know him? Uh, you know, I guess you know maybe uh, trying to get get back at A and M or anything like that that uh, you know might be might be put forward. Uh, 
Well, look, certainly he did not see eye to eye or get along with the staff there. Although I think that from A&M's perspective, I'm, I'm not sure that they felt like Martial was, you know, a, a trouble spot for them or anything. I think this was a kid who had gone through spring practice, actually played well in the spring game, uh, would have probably contributed a lot this year. And I saw that A&M just, just this week lost the starting linebacker for the year. You know, it's possible that Santino would have started at linebacker for A&M for at least a good portion of, of this season. This is a kid who was a four-star recruit um, out of IMG Academy and could have gone to any number of schools in the SEC or across the Power Five and ended up at A&M. And obviously, Kevin Sumlin and his staff uh, get fired. And I, I think it reflects a larger issue with what happens in college football. A coach leaves, a coach gets fired. The players who were recruited to play for that staff are stuck in limbo. They're stuck with a coaching staff that that they didn't have a relationship with, that they didn't uh, sign up to play for. You know, some are cool with it and some aren't. And yet the reality of that, and kids can get sideways with a new staff for a variety of reasons, fit, scheme, playing time. The, they don't, the, the staff doesn't feel they're good enough, um, disciplinary, um, they're going to bring in kids that they recruited to play those positions. Like there's all kinds of reasons why that, that can go wrong. And I don't think that's the fault of the kid. I mean, Santino Martial was in a situation that he had no role in creating, uh, totally not his fault that the staff comes in and he doesn't get along with them. And yet the, the student athlete in that deal has no recourse other than to transfer and I think most reasonable people would look at that situation and say the kid should have a right to go transfer and go wherever he wants to go and not be penalized for it because they didn't create the situation that, that led to those circumstances. And yet for Santino, if he was going to leave and go to another school, he would have had to give up a year of eligibility because he redshirted his freshman year. So he would not have only had to sit out a second straight year of playing football, but would only have three years to play. And that's why he was determined to fight so hard to get this waiver. And I think you can say sour grapes. I don't know that he had a lot to be sour grapes about um, in terms of like the traditional stuff you might think about, like playing time or whatever. I think he would have gotten playing time. I think it was just not a good fit. He didn't like the way he was treated on a number of levels and felt like the program had changed in a way that he didn't fit in with anymore. Have you gotten much, uh, I guess, feedback from people within the, you know, kind of uh, industrial complex about, about this? Well, I think it's definitely shaken some people up. It's, it's made them open their eyes to the idea that this is a possibility that somebody who leaves transfers and tries to get a waiver now based on this new rule can do so by, essentially ratting out their former school for whatever misconduct they observed or participated in. That's a precedent that people I think are, are, uh, maybe didn't consider before, but they're certainly considering now. And the thing that strikes me about it is coaches all the time and athletic directors talk about 
how it would just be total chaos if you got rid of transfer rules, if you made it easier for players to switch programs. It would just be never-ending free agency. It would be chaos. It would be such a huge headache. I'm not sure that that's a bigger headache than this. Yeah, that's a. I think that that's a, uh, a, a fair point. And but I, I I do wonder, you know, if you if you did uh, remove these restrictions, you know, and just uh, kind of you know let free agency go. I kind of think that this is a bigger thing. It's it reminds me a lot of, uh, you know, kind of the pushback against uh, you know relaxing recruiting restrictions, in the sense that if if you can, you know, if there's going to be, you know, if a uh, I don't know if a coach can can you know for you know essentially kind of poach uh, ro- you know players off other rosters, um, you know that that all of a sudden in the off season increases their workload pretty significantly and it also uh you know it also raises some uh, other work on the uh, back end protecting the guys i think on your own roster i mean to me that's the kind of thing that uh you know would you'd have a pretty significant uh you know interest in in fighting against that if you're a member of a coaching staff well sure i mean it's an inconvenience, absolutely, and and maybe you have to adjust some other things in terms of tampering rules, and you know, or maybe the NCAA, which I know they considered over this past year, a sort of one-time transfer exception, mm-hmm. which they have in other sports, by the way, not not football and basketball, but they have in some other sports, and I think it makes sense. Look, you, maybe you get starry-eyed in recruiting, or you go to a place that's not what you thought, or maybe uh, the coach leaves, the coach gets fired maybe it's not an academic fit maybe you go to a school and it's it's a little bit higher level than than where you can contribute there's all kinds of reasons why maybe a one-time transfer exception is a good idea and i i don't think that if you made transfer rules more free and, and liberal for the players that it would be the kind of chaos that that people think. You have to remember, it's it's not easy to transfer. You have to uproot your life. You have to uproot your social life, your academic life. Uh, you have a group of friends. You have a girlfriend or whatever. Uh, that that you, you if you want to transfer schools, all that goes away, and you have to start over in a situation in a locker room. You don't know people. It's it's not as easy, I think, as people think. To, to make that move. And, and for example, I just look at the old Miss situation where essentially based on how they did the transfer rule, like anybody could have left Ole Miss and gotten a waiver to play right away. It was open season on that Ole Miss roster. And how many people left six? Yeah. Yeah. It's a fair, fair point. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so, I mean, do you, do you think though that there'll be anything, any wider repercussions from this, you know, in terms of uh, rule changes or anything like that? I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see it play out. It's it's only been a couple days uh, since the story came out, and I'm interested to see, you know, two levels to it. One, what happens to the maybe the transfer discussion as a result of this, uh, the waiver situation, and then what happens to A&M, which it's, it's very early there because the NCAA has not opened a formal inquiry into Texas A&M. They have not sent a letter of, of notification that they're going to come in and, and start digging through everything and talking to people, but they're, they're interested. They're engaged on it. Uh, they are, are definitely, I think, following up on the things that were alleged in that waiver. Interesting. 
Okay, okay. We'll definitely want to keep an eye on there. Um, of course, you know, kind of the other big news, uh, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but now we've got some resolution to it. Uh, Urban Meyer is uh, facing a three-game suspension. Uh, I guess, pardon me, is going to be suspended for three games, along with, uh, you know, I guess uh, Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith is, uh, you know, looking at some kind of suspension also. Um, uh, you know, reading through that report last night that Ohio State issued after they announced their findings, uh, it, the whole thing just to me, I, I, I was really surprised that Meyer kept his job. Well, if you look at the report and strip the name Urban Meyer out of it and just look at the facts of the investigation and what they concluded and what they found, you take all that out, you take out the winning percentage, absolutely any uh, anybody else, if you drop in that name for Urban Meyer, gets fired based on that report. It was a damning report. But the reality on the ground is that you have to have the political will, you have to have the critical mass of support to get rid of him. And that wasn't there, which I think says a lot about Ohio state and the culture there and the board of trustees and, and frankly, probably the fear of, of the, of the mob of Ohio state fans. Uh, but there's no question that, that, that the way that urban handled this going back years and then during the investigation absolutely would have justified a firing. Yeah. Um, and I guess one thing that I wonder about is, uh, you know, having, you know, observed kind of the the way that these uh, environments kind of end up uh, changing after something like this. I'm not sure if, if Meyer, even, you know, if he wants to stay at Ohio State, which I, I, I presumably he does, uh, if if he's not going to find that the environment isn't quite what he uh, is, is used to or, uh, you know, is something that he wants to uh, stick around for much longer. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't project his mindset, um, but I think he's been pretty damaged by this. I think that that his credibility now is so eroded. Uh, people around the country, maybe not the core Ohio State mm-hmm. fan base, but everyone else, I think, looks at him as a serial liar, as a totally disingenuous person. Um, as somebody who lacks empathy or ability to self-reflect and frankly, a bad manager of a football program. I mean, he had a guy on his staff who was a massive risk, just a a human resources risk Mm -hmm. and never really disciplined him. So, you know, I, I think, I think he'll face trouble coming back to the team in that locker room. Look, uh, I know that people sort of infantilize football players and like to say that, you know, that, that they're just true believers. Uh, the reality is, is not it, it, the fan, the fans are true believers when you, when it comes to college football coaches, players are not. Um, now I don't, what they say may say publicly is one thing, but I think half that locker room is laughing at urban Meyer. think he's totally phony. And it'll be interesting to see if that erodes his ability to actually do the job at the same level he did before. Well, and that's that's the part to me that was so, is so galling uh, is more along the lines of the way Meyer has always portrayed himself as this kind of shining beacon, you know. Within, I mean, it, it's very, uh, you know, it, it's kind of. Uh, 
Joe Paterno-esque almost, you know, the way that I think that he wanted to, uh, you know, kind of portray himself. And, and we saw, obviously, how that, that ended up. But uh, to me, that's the that's the more galling part of it. I mean, you know, I can... I you know I can I think I can kind of you reconcile what what it is that you know a college football coach what his for example what his responsibility should be in terms of you know these kinds of uh, off the field investigations and stuff that that I you know to a large degree I'm not sure you know how large a role that uh, college football coaches should have in those kinds of things but the but you know the moralizing and the the you know the preaching that uh, it felt like he was always doing uh, to me is the part that it just and and now you know obviously being so disingenuous I mean there were so many uh, you know kind of just blatant you know uh, falsifications or misleading statements that he made the the whole thing to me is just galling. Oh yeah, I mean again that's. That's the deal is is the package of Urban Meyer, not just as a football coach. You, you take these guys as, as the whole package. And I think it's one I think it's worth keeping in mind. Urban Meyer as a football coach, as a head coach, it's it's only partly the X's and O's. Uh, Urban's always been a guy who his role as the head coach is not necessarily you know, the, the game plan, the X's and O's, it's, it's the psychology. He's always been the psychology guy, right? Taking the temperature of the room, figuring out how to push people's buttons, how to motivate, uh, how to get the best out of them, how to, how to read his team and what they need, right, to perform mm-hmm. their best. That's what – that's been his sort of – the secret sauce of his success as a head coach. It's not the X's and O's. And so when when you're into the psychology of that and and suddenly you can't do it anymore or if if people aren't buying what you're selling then then your effectiveness is gone. And I don't know how you can buy what he's selling anymore based on what we what we've seen laid bare uh in in a lot of uh the actions that that he took. Yeah, yeah, gosh, uh just such a uh man the whole thing is just galling. Uh anyway, um, well, Dan, really appreciate it. I know you're real busy right now, obviously, at the start of the season. So uh, thanks so much again for coming on and uh, filling us in, and, and great work on the, uh, on the A&M story for sure. Thanks. All right. Uh, thanks again to our guest, Dan Wilkin of USA Today. Uh, make sure to check out all his work. And uh, thanks to you all for joining us, too. For the Boynton Homers and Podcast, I'm Alan Kenny. Take it easy.